Welcome to the LexisNexis Environmental Law and Climate Change Center podcast. A summary of recent news stories from the pages of LexisNexis Mealy's Pollution Liability Report and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals on issues involving environmental law and climate change. On this edition, Mark Bennett of Miller Canfield on monetizing carbon finance assets and green issues and the Obama administration. Did you know? Did you know? There are LexisNexis community pages for insurance law, products liability and toxic torts, real estate and bankruptcy. Did you know? There are LexisNexis community pages for workers' compensation law, environmental and climate change, tax law, emerging issues, and more. Did you know? Every LexisNexis community gives you the opportunity to read, listen to, and comment on a wealth of content specific to each practice area. Did you know? You can register for free and can access all of our community pages from one central location. Join the LexisNexis communities, www.lexisnexis.com slash communities. Mark Bennett is senior counsel at the law firm of Miller Canfield and leader of the firm's climate change practice team. Mr. Bennett focuses his practice on climate change, green building and sustainable development, carbon finance, real estate development, environmental risk management and due diligence, lead certification and government economic incentives. He recently spoke on monetizing carbon finance assets in a real estate transaction at the Sustainable Property Transactions Conference in San Francisco. Mark, as always, thanks for being part of this LexisNexis podcast. It's a pleasure to have you back again. Sure, Steve. Uh, happy to be with you today. First, can you explain briefly just what are carbon finance assets and talk about some of the opportunities and challenges facing the financial services and commercial real estate industries? Well, what we talked about in, in, in San Francisco, Steve, was an evolution towards what I call the, the quantification of carbon monetization. Over the last year or so, at a lot of conferences, we talked about policy development at the corporate and government level, how we were going to address these issues. Now we're seeing actual procedures, transactional approaches to monetizing carbon assets. Carbon assets fall into two categories. First, you would have your traditional economic development incentives, tax credits, tax incentives and tax deductions, outright grants that motivate certain behavior, whether it be energy efficiency, creating solar installations, geothermal installations, things of that, of that nature. On the other hand, you, you have the uh, carbon assets, which are traditionally associated with carbon emissions reductions under the, the international, state, or, or regional activities. For instance, the, the REGI initiative in the Northeast, uh, which recently started trading. And then you, you have the uh, array of states which have, which have renewable portfolio standards, which require utilities to transition their fuel mix from fossil fuels, coal, gas, oil, nuclear, to renewables, which are broadly defined uh, across the board. So those activities are are much more complicated, require baselines and annual validation and so forth. So you've got these two camps of incentives, carbon monetization vehicles, and I think you're going to see in the coming months, especially with the new administration, many more incentives moving in this area. Barack Obama has promised to create the largest public works construction program since the inception of the interstate highway system back in the 50s. The green jobs would include a number of different categories. What kinds of jobs do you think they might include, and and what kinds of projects would you expect to see? Well, green infrastructure, Steve, broadly defined, can incorporate any of the renewable technology we talked about. For instance, uh, rooftop solar using thin-filled solar technology can be installed on, on rooftops uh, so uh, President-elect Obama talked about this Sunday on uh, the inefficiency of buildings. So we have infill opportunities for solar right now that are, that are close to the grid. 
this is very a labor-intense activity. In Michigan, there are several new factories which are producing the thin silver-home solar. solar. There's also a lot of job training involved in both manufacturing and in installation. In wind turbines and the whole area of, of creating wind farms, uh, utilizing tool and die workers and, and empty uh, auto factories, again, significant assets that Michigan has now that can be, that can be repositioned, uh, are very labor-intense. So there are many ways in which green infrastructure projects can be a triple whammy in terms of uh, driving investment, driving jobs, and also driving long-term energy security. So that's why I think we'll see green infrastructure maintaining its position at the top of the agenda. In many senses, it's counter-cyclical because uh, energy efficiency and these type of things create to cash savings for building and, and company operators. So I, I think it's going to maintain its place on the, on the new Barack Obama agenda. Can you explain some of the new carbon finance products and credits, uh, value creation drivers, and economic incentives? Steve, the, the simplest approach that uh, I would suggest to talk about in this area would be rooftop solar. This is very analogous to uh, landlords in the mid, sort of early to mid-90s who discovered that their roofs were now a new floor of the building that they could lease to cell tower operators. And I think we're going to see the same thing in this area. Think about rooftops as air rights, hidden assets, where landlord can go to a third party, lease the rooftop, thin rolled some solar is laid on the roof, very little zoning issues because it's not that visible. It's found money to a landlord that can be monetized and cashed out of a building or create a long-term cash flow. That's a simple approach or vacant land that could be the basis for a geothermal facility. Several of these areas also um, can be further enhanced in terms of return through the new tax credits and incentives. So those are a couple examples where, again, what I call hidden assets that can be leveraged in this whole green infrastructure building for the country. When and, and what do you think it's going to take for some of these things to become more available? Um, I think a lot of it's education. I mean, this technology is out there, Steve. Some of it is building owners becoming educated that these systems exist, that it doesn't interfere with operations of their building. For instance, uh, thin, real, thin film rolled sil- solar doesn't require roof penetration, which can avoid the warranty on a, on a commercial building's roof. So that's why I think you're going to see a lot of counter-cyclical activity here, because as commercial real estate is troubled right now with rent reduction and, and tenant bankruptcies, the advent of new, uh, new tenants on the rooftop that have very little impact on the building, I think, will be uh, highly regarded by the industry. So a lot, there's a lot of education going on. BOMA and several of the trade groups in this area are starting to wake up to this and educating their, uh, their, their users. What are some of the other developments that you've seen in the past few months? Um, I think you're going to see some of the states uh, taking a leadership position here in terms of using their real estate stock to promote renewable energy. So you know, that'll, that'll be a big part of it. I think the other thing you're, uh, you're, you're seeing now is an ability to rationalize some of the complexity between the state-level renewable portfolio standards and the emerging carbon credit systems at the uh, federal and regional level. So the legal community is focusing on this right now, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens after the inauguration because there's still uh, some open questions in terms of how the government will approach this, either legislatively or simply through the executive branch to step up and force it. What kind of scenarios do you think might be possible? Uh, one track is for, for Congress to advance the cap-and-trade agenda, and with with Representative Waxman taking control of the Energy and Commerce Committee, we think that's quite likely. However, uh, because of recession, this type of legislation is considered uh, taxation and so forth. So the other 
sort of backdoor approach, which I think maybe more likely would be it happening administratively through the EPA, through a series of rulemaking activities and, and, and litigation stances through EPA. Some of this activity could, under the Clean Air Act, could be promulgated uh, without legislative activity. One interesting note on the auto bailout is that as part of the deal, at least that was on the table, is that the auto companies have agreed not to oppose the uh, California emission standards. So that was sort of part of the deal. So however you feel about the basis for extracting that from the auto companies, it appears likely that the biggest opponent of uh, emissions reductions, at least from from mobile sources like automobiles, uh, is going to be eliminated. So there's a lot of different political strategies aside from this happening congressionally. I think Obama, President Obama is going to be under a lot of pressure from the far left of the party to to move this agenda. As what's been happening the last few weeks, it appears he's getting some uh, pushback from the far left as many of his cabinet nominees are more centrist or, or center-right. So this could be the saving grace, if you will, for the uh, progressive wing of the party. With all of the other issues facing the country, where will these green initiatives fit in, you think? Well, I think to the extent, Steve, that green issues have stayed this high on the agenda as they have so far, suggest they likely will. Uh, we just saw a significant address this weekend by the president-elect where green infrastructure is, is top of mind. And I think the reason is because it's sort of a triple whammy. It hits motivation of investment activity and capital stock, uh, also job training associated with uh, manufacturing renewable energy systems, and energy security, the extent that we can wean our country off of foreign energy sources. I think it, it makes sense on several fronts, and it's not just an ideological drive. It's it has real short-term economic impact. And I think that's why it's going to survive um, long-term on the agenda. Is there one area you think may take precedence over the others? I think the two areas that I'm focusing on now with my clients are energy efficiency and, and solar. In the energy efficiency area, there's um, a, a lot of policy development and, and talk uh, about the ability to monetize energy efficiency in, in traditional commercial real estate. And that's typically referred to as down, downstream monetization. Most of the carbon credit activity is upstream at the major emitters or fuel producers like the coal-fired power plant. But to the extent that the, the real consumption of the electricity is downstream when I flip the light into my office, if it's possible to motivate behavior at my end by letting me monetize my reduction in electricity, I think things could happen much more quickly. So there's things called white tags or energy efficiency trading schemes that are being talked about that are used actually now in some countries. Um, the other area that I'm focusing quite a bit on that we've talked about already is rooftop solar. Um, the technology is there. Uh, it'll be at grid parity in the very near future, which means that it'll be competitive, uh, especially if there's feed-in tariffs, which require the utilities to subsidize it. And it can be in- installed relatively quickly with uh, not a lot of impact on existing rooftops. And also it's close to the grid. Wind is problematic in some areas because of the transmission issues. And upgrading of the transmission grid is also a big part of what President-elect Obama talks about. Even if we can create these distributed renewable energy facilities, we still need to have an existing grid that can, can take on the energy, if you will, that can interconnect. Um, so also that's a very labor-intense area. So I like rooftop solar and energy efficiency, and I think we should keep a close eye. One other footnote, too, that we're, uh, legislation that was passed about 18 months ago in California, we're just about 12 months away, Starting in California in January of 2010, any commercial real estate transaction 
or significant lease will require the energy disclosure uh, of the consumption of energy in that building, which will bring to the forefront uh, in traditional real estate transactions energy consumption. So that's why I tie back to energy efficiency. I think landlords are going to realize that they can't hide behind inefficient building systems and pass those costs to their tenants because it's going to be uh, as, as part of the transaction from disclosure perspective. So those are a couple of areas to keep an eye on. Mark, you do a good deal of traveling and speaking at various conferences. And just coming off of uh, a speaking engagement in San Francisco, you'll be hitting the road again in January and will be in North Carolina, I believe? Yes. I've been asked to present my research at the Environmental Bankers Association, which is a meeting of the leading sustainability officers of major banks. We see this as an opportunity. Uh, we talked about all these new renewable energy technologies and systems. They need to be funded. They will largely be stimulated by the economic incentives we talked about, but they will need traditional debt financing. So progressive banks are actively educating themselves in this area. There's also uh, likely to be disclosure areas focused on by the SEC, so banks who have publicly traded clients uh, need to know about carbon liabilities that will, will come to the forefront. And then in the uh, first part of uh, March, I'm speaking, and also my firm is sponsoring the InfoCast Green Building and Sustainable Finance Conference, which is the uh, becoming the, the leading commercial real estate green building finance uh, forum, if you will, where there will be uh, institutional investors as well as government officials all talking about what's happening, and the timing will be very good as the policies of the new administration will likely be on the streets around that time. And it's going to be interesting to see how things shake out as we get into the first quarter of next year. Exactly, exactly. So I think timing is good. I think uh, right after the inauguration, uh, the Obama administration is going to hit the ground running. There's already drafts moving around in terms of uh, how these programs will be implemented. So things are going to are going to move quickly, which I think will be great for the economy and uh, for addressing several of these other several of these other longer-term needs of the country. Mark Bennett of Miller Canfield, as always, it's a pleasure having you as part of this LexisNexis podcast. Thank you for your insights and your analysis on some of these issues. And I look forward to having you back again for an update in the near future. Thanks again. You're very welcome, Steve. Glad to join you. This has been the LexisNexis Environmental Law and Climate Change Center podcast. Copyright 2008 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis, total practice solutions. I'm Steve Burstler. Thank you for listening.